put that in your mind and switch it for work. Got it? Okay. So, the biblical perspective of work, we start with work is a creation ordinance. Work is a creation ordinance. What does this mean? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is creation in its perfection. So in God's perfect order of things, he decided that work would be a part of our role as his children. It is not a result of sin. Some people say, oh, God only punishes us because we sin and that's why we have to work. No, you, you will, you were, we were meant to work and in God's perfect state, we were to do that, but we sinned. So what does that do? It just intensifies the pain of labor, right? We see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Now, no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. So this implies that man was going to cultivate the ground for these things to happen in a perfect world. Verse 15. Of chapter 2, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of the Eden to cultivate and keep it. This was our purpose. This is what we were supposed to do, right? But what happens? Sin comes into the world. And if you go to chapter 3, verse 17, then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your forehead, sorry, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, it's part of life. For us, It's part of life. For you, it's part of life, okay? It's just, it's going to be there until we die, okay? If you're able to save money, maybe you can retire early, and or when you retire, you don't have to toil as much, but you have worked for it at one point or another, right? Some, I know, Brandon said this one time, there's some cultures in the world that they don't even know what the idea of retirement looks like. They're like, what do you mean saving for the future? Like, how does that even work? Oh, 401 what? They don't know that, all right? So people know that they just, you want to eat, you want to have shelter over your food, sorry, shelter over your head, and you want to have food on the table, you have to work. And this theme of work appears in Scripture many times. Uh, Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 6. And this one is specifically talking about the sluggard, the lazy person, the one who doesn't want to work. The Word of God says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? Will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. 
Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. And then towards the end of verse 19, well, we'll, we'll leave it there. So, talks about those that don't want to work and are lazy. God doesn't like that. We were meant to work. But then there's also the other extreme, where the one extreme is you're lazy, and the other extreme is you're workaholic, and that's all your life is about. In Ecclesiastes, if you want to turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 13. Then I said to myself, as, if, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity, for there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as a fool, inasmuch as in the coming of the days will be forgotten, and how much the wise man and the fool look alike, die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the men who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. So there's nothing wrong with leaving, you know, your kids, your, your, your grandkids, some sort of inheritance, right? But that, the idea is this, like you can work as much as you want, but knowing that you, you won't take that with you when you die. You will leave it here to those that weren't as wise and weren't as efficient as you were, right? And you need to know that, okay? So, God created work. It was meant for perfection. The fall made it worse. The fall made it for people to fall into two categories, extreme laziness or extreme, you're not workaholic, somewhere in the middle be there, right? Where you have to work and work hard, but you also have to enjoy family and serve God with your spiritual gifts and make time for that, okay? So that's the first biblical perspective of work is a creation ordinance. Then the second is it's a gift. Work is a gift. And it is a gift from the Lord because it is a way or a means that your parents are able to support you, put a roof over your head, put food on the table. It's also a means that the Lord uses to build this church physically. Like you guys know that all this costs money. All these events that we do cost money. And the church, when you give, the church is able to cover all these expenses. So your work is a gift from God to provide for your family and also for the things of the Lord. The next biblical perspective of work is work is a ministry and the workplace is a mission field. See, during the Reformation... what was emphasis? What was emphasized? One of the points that was emphasized was this idea of clergy over laity, clergy versus laity, saying that only those that were in the church had the most important spiritual job, and those that were in laity, meaning like not working for the church and second citizen, second class citizen, it's not as equal, it's not as great. And the Reformation said, "Hold on a second, no, that's that's not true." Okay, we are all missionaries in our workplace. The only difference between a clergy and a lady, is the, 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 the person who works for the church and the one that doesn't is a calling and appointment to do so. 
Other than that, it's all equal. It's all playing field, guys. Your work, your school is your mission field. Like, you don't have to be a pastor or work for the church to do spiritual things or to live your Christian life. Believe me, you don't. In fact, you have more opportunity to live out the Christian life in a secular job than in working for the church. And I can tell you that from personal experience. Like, I wish I had as much as encounterings with other people like I had before than I do now. I have you guys, I have the church, and the majority of people I interact are believers. So I have to, okay, I resort when I go to a restaurant, when I travel, when I do these things, I'll, I'll look for them. But there's nothing like in your workplace and school where you constantly have all these people that are unbelievers that you can glorify Christ. And it's a blessing. So don't ever say, oh, I, I want to do things for the Lord, so I'll just be a pastor. It's like, no, you do things for the Lord where you are now, especially where you are now. Okay, so now we're going to move into the second point, the biblical practice of evangelism at the workplace. Okay? So the first thing we need to recognize is that God is your ultimate employer. God is your ultimate employer. Though your teachers, principal, boss, trail life leader, volleyball coach, are your immediate authority that God has placed over your life in these contexts, God is ultimate over them. And he's allowed them to be over your life. Everyone turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 7 through 8. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So, guys, when you obey or do well under your bosses, it's like it was for the Lord. When you do and obey well in your teachers, is as if it was for the Lord. When you obey your parents, is as if it was for the Lord. Okay, these, He's the ultimate authority that has delegated these authority to be your immediate authority as we live our lives. Okay, So you need to recognize that. That, yes, your boss, your parents are your earthly authority, immediate authority, your coach, your teachers, however, there is a other authority that is going to tell you, you listen to me above all, right? That's the main authority. And that main authority is telling you guys, the mission field is your school. The mission field is your workplace. Do it, we're going to get into this in a second, within the parameters of you're able to do it without getting in trouble and going against the laws that they have or the rules that they have. The second uh, practice of evangelism at work that we're going to look at is honor and obey your earthly employer. Honor and obey your earthly employer. First Timothy chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 says, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor 
so that what? The name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. You honor your teacher when no one else is doing so. You glorify Christ. You honor your boss and not talk about, be bad about him with your coworkers when everyone else is doing so. You do that, you will be glorifying Christ. That is when, when we pray, Lord, let us be salt and light to the world. Let us be your ambassadors. That's what we're talking about. What everyone is doing the negative, you are not. And you're doing it not out of, look at me how great, you're doing it out of honoring the Lord. I'm not going to talk bad about my boss because that's not what the Lord has me to talk about. And I'm not going to continue this gossip with my coworkers or with my classmates. Oh, that's me here. That guy is horrible. His tests are so hard. He's, a, he's so mean. And, and you're, instead of saying, hey, guys, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he had a bad day. Maybe, you know, do that. But don't be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Can't wait until this year's over. And then you don't help the situation. You don't help the situation. And the Bible calls us to honor them. Now, when is the exception to honor and obey your employees, teachers, parents even? When is that exception? Yeah, when they tell you to do things against the Bible, then in that case, then yeah, you're, you're, you're okay to not honor and obey in that sense. But it's going to be out of love as well. It's not going to be like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to call my mom and dad on you. No, okay, I, re- I understand that you're telling me to do that, but I, I, I just can't. And if that means I'm going to get in trouble, you can go ahead and t- send me to the principal's office. I understand. Lovingly, patiently, and at work too, is like, well, you, I have rights. You don't, you don't know me. You know, I'm going to take this lawyer. I'm going to sue you. And I, I'm going to go to Channel 7 News. And I was like, don't. Like, listen, I know that you're telling me to do this. Biblically, as a Christian, I can't. It goes against the word of God. I understand the consequences that you might have. And I, I'm willing to accept them. That is the difference. And that is how you are salt and light. And that is how you glorify God. Because people are going to see something different. Because are they going to expect that reaction? They're going to expect the worldly reaction, right? The one that I just mimicked. Threatening, suing. And then maybe that can be like, wow, hold on a second. This person has something. This, this person is not normal. And that's when you say, yeah, because Christ has said to honor my authorities. And don't think I'm such a great person. Is I'm just trying to follow Christ and obey his commands. And he's saying that I can resist this, but I have also to do it in love and understand what you guys got to do, you do. Which ties us to our next point. Honor Christ with your example. Honor Christ with your example as a student, as a athlete, as a worker, as a sibling. You want to honor Christ with your example. Why is this important to be a good example to those that you are preaching the gospel to? Anybody want to, sh- want to give it a try? Why is it important to be a good example to those that you're preaching the gospel to? Yes, Ian? Because you uh, show what Christ is really like. Okay. Yeah. Let's say you're a lazy worker. Man, you just don't want to work. You're at Chick-fil-A looking at your phone while everyone's working, and you're just that guy. And all of a sudden, you're like, hey, guys, you know Christ loves you, and, and he wants the best for you, and 
and, 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 but you have to repent from your sins because you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to be judged one day and, and you got to come to church or you can learn about these things. And they're looking at you as like, but what do you mean? Why do I have to go? That's what they teach you at your church, to be lazy at work? To like look at your phone while you're not supposed to? To like say bad words and talk behind your boss as, as everyone else does? What's the difference? So some people might say, well, I'm a lazy person. What can I say? I, I, or I say bad words. What can I say? I'm not going to be able to preach the gospel. <laughs> That's not the answer. The answer is stop behaving in that way. Live and walk in the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit and then evangelize. It's not, oh, uh, I'm, this is just who I am. I can't change. That's, that's, that's wrong. If you are in Christ, if you truly are in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in you and he gives you the will both to Will and work for his good pleasure. So you have the potential of killing off and fighting sin if you really wanted to. You have the word of God to meditate on, to kill sin, and to put on righteousness. If you are a true believer, you can change any sinful habit. You can change because he has promised it. But if you're not a believer and you're struggling, why can't I get out of this? And if Jesus is not your Lord, then that's why you feel like there's no hope for you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, says the following. 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 says, And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. This is a, one of the qualifications as an elder, a deacon, but for all of us, right? We need to be above reproach. Why? To give God the na- a good name, to work out our salvation, to, be, to, to adorn the, go- the doctrine of God, to adorn the gospel of God. We have to do it. If you call yourself a Christian, it's part of who we are. To be the light, to be the difference. If you are in Christ. And guess what? What does the word of God say? Are these commandments burdensome for those that are in Christ? No, they're not. They, they, they come they naturally come. Obviously, you have to put work into it. You have to read. The more scripture you read, the more scripture you meditate, the more you pray, the more strength you're going to have in the Spirit to walk in it, to help you, to convict you when you need it. The least you do that, the least growth you will see. And guess what? The Lord rewards hard work. Look at what Proverbs twenty-two nineteen says. Twenty-two twenty-nine says. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Meaning, you work hard as it was for the Lord. The Lord will honor that. How will he honor that? Pay raises, promotions, and without you even looking for them. That's Brandon. All right. Next, let's go to our next point. Be tactful in looking for evangelism opportunities. Everyone turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. 
Verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Let's look at the shrewd as serpents. Shrewd equals not deceptive or misleading, but wise, intelligent, and sensible. How are you shrewd? Okay. When I used to work for Irving, I had to, there were certain things that I needed to understand, right? I needed to know that even though I believe certain things, the law is law, and I had to kind of like go in between and walk a line where I was like, okay, I will, I will preach the gospel when I can, but I won't use my platform to do so. So as, as a boss, I couldn't just go to my staff when we had a big meeting and start preaching the gospel in front of all, because I know that that somewhere, somehow would get to HR and I would probably lose my job. But what I did was when I had people on one-on-one and they were taking their problems out because they knew I went to church, that's when I said, hey, listen, I know that you're going through this, and this is just me taking my boss hat off, and I'm going to put my Christian hat off, and then I would preach the gospel, okay? But I knew that in that moment, I could either, this person is really trustworthy, and they're really going to appreciate the fact that I preach the gospel, or this might get me in the future, and it might go to HR, and I might lose my job for it, which I'm still okay with. I'm not that I'm not. But it's, it's, it's in the moment. I, I, you feel it out, right? In school, right? You're not going to be preaching the gospel while everyone's taking a test. While everyone's quiet and you're all like, guys, I got something to say. Listen to me right now. That's not being shrewd. That's not being wise. You do it when it's at lunchtime, when lunch table, when, you, when you're talking about things that no one cares about. That's when you do it. When you have free time in, in your class, that's when you do it. All right? Now, can you stand up on the cafeteria and preach the gospel? Sure. If that's what really you want to do, go for it. Most likely, I'm not saying that it won't have the effect that you're thinking of, but most likely the one-on-one will be more effective than the street preaching, okay? I'm not saying that it's wrong, but even if we ever do street preaching, it will never be with a microphone and a speaker. It will be handing out pamphlets, talking to people on a one-on-one Making people feel comfortable because sometimes people are interested, but they're like super uncomfortable with you screaming and everyone's looking at it like, but I really want to have this conversation. People are more comfortable on a one-on-one than on a, so be wise is what they're saying here. Be wise in how. Know who's coming to you, right? In the workplace. You know that there's employees and friends that you know are super left-leaning and you know they want to get you in trouble and they know you want it. They want to do it on company time. Well, how are we wise when it comes to that? Hey, you know what? That's a great, you know what? Let's talk after work hours. And I can, I can, I can, I will answer all those questions as an employer, as an employee. There's nothing wrong with that. You got to be wise. Because what if they're trying to get you? What if they're trying to fire you? What if they're trying to do these things for you? Which people are mean. They, they, it happened to Daniel, didn't it? It happened to Daniel where all the other people, all the other magistrates were like, why does he get all these attention? Why does he get all these promotions? Ah, he prays. Oh, if we can get him. Not praying to the, to the golden statue? Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get him there. People are trying to, they're going to try. But you, you're wise. You're shrewd, right? Colossians 4, 5. 
conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Time and place. Time and place. Now, shrewd as serpents, but also innocent as doves. And that's what takes us to the next point. Always live above reproach. Always live above reproach. The word innocent here means to be, be without mixture of evil. Be without mixture of evil. So, how are you going to be above reproach if you're stealing time? Right? You're stealing time and everyone knows it. Oh, or you tell your friend, hey, I'm getting to work at 9, but clock me in at 8.30. Because I usually do, but I'm just running late. Can you do so? Can you clock me in at 8.30? And you're the believer. And then you're the same person that's going to tell that friend, hey, let's go to church on, on Wednesday night. They have a good, a good program there. Or let's talk about the gospel. What are they, they going to, why? You, you steal time. I don't steal time, and I'm not even as religious as you are. I, you know, everyone has a conscience, right? I know that's even wrong for me, so why are you trying to push me to go to church if you're, you're stealing time? Or you talk bad about your teachers or your bosses with everyone else. Or you do a very poor job at what you do. You, you just do it just to get out of it instead of doing it with excellence. And guys, if you ever fired from your job, let it be because you stood up for your truth, not because you were a lazy employee, not because you stole time. That doesn't bring honor to God. It's, it's, it's not... It's not salt and light like we're supposed to call and do. Now, do we mess up at work sometimes? Of course we do. Of course we do. But when you do mess up, admit it. Go to your boss and say, hey, look, I dropped the ball. I, 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 I did this and I shouldn't have and I'm sorry just in case it gets to you. It's, it's people, it's better for you that way than, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. And your sorrow is not even, it's an it's a, it's a earthly sorrow. Not even, oh, man, I got caught. So be above reproach. Be salt and light to the world. And that's why, why do you think the calling of a Christian is so hard? Why do you think the easy believism, did I say that right? Finally. Why do you think it's so important? And so it's not what the world says as, oh yeah, come to Christ, all your problems are going to go away. Oh, it's an easy life. It's just health, wealth, prosperity. You, you got it. It's good. Just come to Christ. It's like, no, that's not what it is. Whoever wants to be my disciple has to take up the cross daily and follow me. You have to be an ambassador of Christ. You bear his name. His blood bought you. Therefore, you are to act as a Christian. And it's hard, especially in a peer pressure moment. Everyone here is easy to be a Christian here. It's easy to stand up for the truth here because we all do. It's called positive peer pressure. If any one of you started cursing, you feel like, man, I can't curse right now because no one else does. That's the opposite of, posi- of, of peer pressure, positive peer pressure. You do good things because everyone else is doing the good things. But when you get out of here, everyone is doing the bad things. Everyone is cursing. Everyone is talking bad about their, their, their teachers, their parents. Everyone's doing all that. And then you have to stand out as the salt and light. And it's hard when everyone is talking derogatory way of girls in the locker room or whatever. It's hard to stand up to that. It's hard to stand up to... People gossiping, knowing that your teacher's pretty mean, and knowing that they have some sort of truth, but it's hard to say, guys, let's not do that. 
that's a mom, sister, daughter, somewhere, somehow, that's, some, that's a person. It's hard. But that, did anybody say it was going to be easy? No. Okay, that concludes this lesson. Any questions on guidelines? So just know, be wise, when to do it. Know that you have to do it. It could be during company time. It could be not during company time. It could be during your lunch time. It could be after. you got to learn and know what, what your bosses are like. Some bosses are like nothing personal on personal time. On work time, fine. Like, don't do it. Like, if you can't make a phone call, if you, don't do it, right? But if it's casual conversation while you're at the, you know, refilling your water bottle and you're having a conversation there or wait for lunch time, wait after before work, be smart, be wise, but preach the gospel because you need to because it's a commandment because that is our mission field okay you don't have to be a missionary to preach the gospel full-time god intended it for you to preach the gospel full-time wherever you are at at whatever point in life you are at all right amen okay guidelines for discipleship guidelines for discipleship turn your bibles to john chapter 1 This was of many, of many that we know that Jesus commands his followers to do what? The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me. Not follow me if your schedule permits it. Not follow me sometimes. The call to the Christian is to follow Christ always. Our life revolves around him, not the other way around. The fact that you have a super busy schedule, the fact that you are a student, an athlete, the fact that you're a mom and have children and work, the fact that you're a dad and you serve in the ministry and you work and you, you got to parent your kids, it's no excuse for us not to put God first and follow him in the sense of reading, praying, evangelizing, doing the essentials. Like, we have it all wrong. It's like, oh, I don't have time. When I have time, I'll read the Word. No, no, no. <laughs> when I have time, I'll pray. No, no, no. That doesn't work that way. Follow me. Follow me is the command that Christ gives. How do we do that? How do we follow him? Well, obey his commandments. We love him, right? The Bible's clear. If you love me, you obey my commandments. And what does this look like? This follow him can be called discipleship. Becoming more like Christ. This is what discipleship is. Becoming more like Christ, leading others to become more like Christ. This is all over the New Testament. Jesus urged them, the apostles of the church urged the church to follow Christ. And this takes two dynamics. I don't know if this is in your 200 and but there are two primary dynamics of discipleship. Instructing in the scriptures, mentoring in the experience. How does this work? If we only instruct you guys here, you become a 
well-knowledge person and you have a head knowledge of the things of the Lord. But what happens if that head knowledge stays here? What, what do you become? What, what characterized the Pharisees? No, but what were you going to say before? Okay. Maybe, yeah. True. Pride. Prideful. That's what, that's what you become. All this knowledge, look how great I am. I can defend the Trinity. <laughs> I can debate you with secessionism versus continuism. Oh, wow. I can, let's talk about pro, the, theology proper. <laughs> you like how that little sentence? All right, anyways, but what's the point if you don't put anything to practice? So discipleship has to be like teaching you guys, but also putting it to practice teaching you guys how to do it, doing it ourselves so that you can do it as well. Discipleship happens with one believer sharpens another believer by teaching Scripture and mentoring the Christian life. And guys, why is this important? I taught this a couple of months ago in Matthew 28, verse 16. Verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, the gospel conversation or conversion doesn't just end there. Let's say you are lucky enough to witness someone come to Christ right there in the moment. Like you see their tears of desperation. It was like, man, I, I'm wicked and, and God saved me and starts bawling in tears. And you're lucky that you can experience that. All right. Good job, Abby. You're a Christian. Bye. And you never talk to that person again. No, don't do that. It's going and making disciples now. Making disciples, if they're a friend from school, making sure they're coming to you to, with, to church or they're going to a church. If they're a family member, to get involved in their life. Hey, how you doing? How's everything? How do you feel? How, are you reading your word? Are you praying? I don't know how to do those things. Well, let, let's, I'll teach you. Discipleship goes hand in hand with evangelism. So how would this discipleship start, right? Well, number one, a thorough review of the gospel. Have them memorize some of those verses that are in your memory card. Have them do that. Because, guys, this is not just a stepping stone. Like the next thing. Okay, became a Christian, understand the gospel, check. What's next? Fundamentals of the faith, check. What's next? Baptism, check. What's next? Partners, check. What's next? Becoming a biblical leader, check. What's next? Becoming a biblical elder, check. What's next? Excel ministries, check. What's next? No, that's not how it goes. This gospel, understanding the gospel, will go throughout your Christian walk daily. Why? You need to constantly be reminded that without Christ, you are nothing. We are all prideful. We all get to think that all these spiritual gifts that we have become ours. 
And we start to think that all the glory is for us, how great I am doing this, how great I am serving the Lord. And it's like far from it, people. We get to those mentalities. I struggle with that all the time. And I come and say, hold on a second. What does God really think of me? On my best days, my good deeds are like filthy rags. What does God really say about my spiritual gifts? That they're his. I'm just borrowing them. How dare me take his glory? Thank you for Christ. Thank you for my salvation that I have in him. That is why the gospel is so important to always be in your mind constantly. Because sometimes we forget where we came from. Dead in our trespasses. That way you can always know that when you encounter that friend or family member that you think... This person is never going to receive the gospel. Oh, how hideous they are. The way they talk about God. How dare they? That was us before Christ. And if you have that in your mind constantly, you will have grace to preach the gospel to those who need it. Next, basic Bible study methods. Basic Bible study methods. Bible reading is key, all right? I'm, you know, we inculcate that you in your lives daily. Your parents tell you you need to read the Word, read the Word, read the Word, read the Word. Why? Because the Holy Spirit uses that to sanctify you. The Holy Spirit uses that to illuminate you, to reproof you, to correct you. Just by reading, God does a lot with that, right? And everything pertaining to God, life and godliness is here. It's found here. Now, new converts are going to have a lot of questions. And they might ask you, man, I'm dealing with anxiety today. I have, I have this knot in my stomach. I, okay, you know, the Bible talks about that. Everyone go to Matthew chapter 6. And let's say you tell your new believing friend, hey, why don't you go to Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to read verses 25 to 34. And this is the one that says, do not worry. Look at the birds of the sky. Look at the flowers of the earth. And then let's just go to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has its own trouble of its own. You can tell your, your friend, so what do you think? is the cure for worry based on what the Scripture says. And let them read that and let them meditate on that. Well, it says here to seek for his kingdom and righteousness. What does that mean? And you can tell them, well, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first is basically to do what he has commanded you. Just to live your life as he's commanded, and he will take everything else. He'll take care of everything else. And then the other thing is meditate on God's goodness. Look, he's saying that if he protects birds and flowers, are you not much worth more than that? He, his son bought you with the blood. He will take care of you. If you're going to worry about something, worry about obeying his commandments. Worry about seeking first his kingdom. And guess what? The new believers saw him, okay, and they can meditate on that. And now he's learning how scripture can help him on his day-to-day battle against sin. 
And always disciple with scripture, guys. When your friends come to you and ask you for advice, don't be like, oh, I know that this is what I do. (laughs) No, go back to scripture. This is what scripture says about your problem. Don't ever interfere your experience with scripture. You can talk about your experience in the light of the scripture that, oh yeah, and this is how I used to meditate on this verse and how I applied it to my life. But not like, you know what, take six deep breaths. And that should take the anxiety away. That's, that works, it works for me. It's going to work for you, all right? Number, point number two, application through mentoring. Application through mentoring. So as you do these things, you encourage others to do these things as well. Establish a daily pattern of scripture reading and prayer. Every disciple of Christ has this praise, reads the word, meditates on it. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication in your prayers. Memorization, hopefully at least the one verse of the month that we're doing as a youth together in your small group is the only one that you're memorizing. Do more than that. I encourage you, do once a week, one a week. It'll, it'll change your life, but at least once a month, right? Then, secondly, use ordinary events as opportunities to disciple. Ordinary events. Like, let's say you're going to the movies with one of your friends that just became a Christian, and he's like, yo, let's just go cut in line. And you'd be like, nah, what are you doing? You'd be like, hey, you know, do you really think that's fair for those that, you know, for begging the line and stuff like that? And the Bible tells us to, to look after and to love others more than ourselves. Uh, it's not really good to do that. Let's just stay in line. And then you, you taught him. You discipled him. Oh, this is what a Christian does. Right? You take those moments, not like, how dare you? You are not saved. You are not my friend. Mom, can you pick me up? No. No. Use the opportunity because you were once there. You're lucky that you grew up in church, the majority of you. But what if your friend has no idea of church? Don't judge them. Don't put them down so easily. Love them with patience and kindness. Obviously, judge them. The actions, and obviously you're not, you know, your parents will tell you, dictate you, and you'll know when somebody's a true believer and wanting to walk in the faith and one when they're not, right? I would encourage you not to have your friends, your, your, your good friends that you tell everything to be, I would not encourage them to be unbelievers. I would encourage your good friends for life to be believers. Does it mean that we don't interact with the world? No, we have to interact with the world, but it doesn't mean that we're going to have the world as our best friends. Lastly, exemplify love for the church. Bring them to church. Help them sign up for discipleships. Point them to the baptism class if they come to Christ. Everyone's going to be like, oh, I can't believe on my own. I don't need church. No, the Bible is clear that you need church. In fact, all the letters of the New Testament, the majority of them were written to churches. And if people weren't at church to hear them, I think if it's important for the apostles to teach the church, it's important for us to be at church, and God commands it. Amen? I know it's a lot in a little time. Um, any questions on evangelism in the workplace and discipleship? I pray that this has been encouraging to you. I pray more that you can evaluate your life to see how you are on the spectrum of light and salt. Are you pretty salty or are you lacking salt? Are you a bright neon LED light or are you like a little candle? 
Evaluate yourself and ask God to help you because he can if you are a believer in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We thank you for allowing us to be part of the salvation plan for those that are yours. Father, we know, Lord, that no one can be saved without the preaching of your gospel. And we know, Father, that you have called us to do so. And many people die daily, Father, without hearing or ever hearing your gospel. Allow us, Father, to have the courage and boldness to do so with our family, with our friends. Allow us to adorn the gospel of God with our lives. Allow us, Father, to work out our salvation well, that we can be good ambassadors, that we can shine your light, that we can be your salt, because you're the one that does it anyways, Lord. Just allow us to be obedient, to walk in the Spirit as we read your word and meditate on it. Thank you, Father, for calling us, those that are in Christ. For those that aren't in here, Father, I pray that they can come to you one day and they can bow their knee to you and make you Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so before we split into small groups, uh, anybody's birthday in December? Really? So we bought donuts for nothing? What? Really? No one's birthday's in December? Brody? Okay, fine. <laughs> I was like, what bad administrator that you are, Alejandro. <laughs> you bought donuts and it's like no one's birthday. All right. Who? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Lane, for that. Okay, so we'll just uh, we'll enjoy donuts after small groups. Which we'll be outside. Uh So, Rocio and J- I saw Nate here. Oh. Okay, so just eighth grade, we'll go with Brandon. And sixth grade, girls, yeah, with Kat. Yeah, but there, are there any sixth grade girls? One, okay. So just divide the seventh and eighth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade be- between two, you and Betty, and then you are dismissed. And the sixth grade boys, you go with, and the seventh grade boys, you go with Kevin. Wait, and then Matt, do you have anybody? Matt can take the sixth grade boys. Hey, who's that? Eighth grade. So you can take sixth and seventh, you take eighth. What? Let's do it. Remember, we're going to. Yeah. Right here, right here.